Thanks for listening to Bezier. Bezier is sponsored by Superhigh, online courses for code, design, and product management. Superhigh's courses can be done in your own home at your own pace. I've been a Superhigh student since 2017 and have gone from being a designer feeling alienated by the should designers code discourse to building my own sites and now even selling web design services. My favorite part of Superhigh is the community of learners. As a Superhigh student, you're added to this huge community of all the other Superhigh students. It's filled with inspiring people from all over the world in all different places in their careers. I've gotten work there, I found podcast guests there, and even made in-person friends, all because of Superhigh. It's easy to get started. There's an online code editor. You can do it on your own schedule. There's built-in community of learners. It's got everything you need. Start learning to code, design, or product manage today at superhigh.com. I'd like to have my guests introduce themselves. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Anna. I'm a product designer at LogMeIn, and I use pronouns she, her. I've been in UX design for about three, four, three and a half years now. And I come from a graphic design and 2D digital illustration background, and also kind of an academic background. I have master's in philosophy, and I almost went on to have a PhD, but I dropped out because I realized the academic life was not for me. Right now, I live and work in Budapest, Hungary, but I'm originally from Russia, and I spent most of my life growing up in Serbia, here nearby, next to, right next to Hungary. So I'm all over the place. And what do you do outside of work? Outside of work, I mostly do video games, and I'm a huge bibliophile. I mean, in general, I'm an introvert and a homebody, and if anything revolves around staying at home a lot and doing it, that's for me. <laughs> perfect and yeah when it comes to books i'm one of those people who doesn't read too fast doesn't read too many books a year but keeps buying new books i'm a hoarder book hoarder literally you can see this but i'm recording this and there are piles and piles of books around me on my desk because there's just no place to put them i wonder if there's like a study or a survey about designers and book hoarding because i feel like it's a common thread like i have a lot of books at home yeah it could be yes i have a lot of designer friends who also have this trait and we share this interest of collecting books and talking about books i'm going to ask you more about books later but i'm curious would you like to share any favorite video games these days i'll just play almost anything that's on switch I just, I like the platform so much, the experience from anything from Animal Crossing, Stardew Valley to like The Witcher, Skyrim, whatever is available. And I also play Overwatch a lot. So I guess that's like the main thing. You said that you work at LogMeIn and that you've been designing for, you said three or four years, I believe. Yeah. When you decided that academic life wasn't for you, how did you decide on UX design and what was that transition like? As I mentioned also, I come from a kind of graphic design background and I was just, I learned everything myself in that craft. And I used to have a lot of freelance projects as an illustrator and graphic designer. And at some point I had my own startup with a friend doing marketing design for sports brands like teams, national federations, things like that. And I realized I didn't really like that part of design, the graphic design, the visual design. But I really enjoyed making websites for our customers and for our own startup. So I looked deeper into that part of design scene. And I realized that a lot of 
subjects really correlate with my academic background. So interest in philosophy and everything like being human-centered, user-centered, a lot of ethical questions about it. So I found my perfect niche, like the correlation of design and more like visual design and more the UX part of design. And was Logbean your first job in your UX career? No, I had a small gig before, which combined both visual design and some UX UI design. And a year ago, I started at Logbean, and it's fully like product design, UX design position. And to be honest, I don't do a lot of visual design nowadays anymore, more of the UX part of the process. For someone listening that has probably heard of UX design, but maybe isn't a UX designer, how would you describe it? Asking difficult questions. I think unlike UI design, uh, UX design is not something you can grasp or easily define. It's this user experience, right? It's this vague. So UI is something you can feel, sometimes touch, see with your eyes, you can grasp. And you can look at it and say, hey, make this part better or this part better or make this button bigger. But UX is this, that is a very difficult question. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Uh, getting a bit philosophical here. I guess this is the part where you are dealing with something pretty abstract, which has to deal with something pretty subjective to a lot of people, like their experience using the product. And it's not necessarily something you can solve by a design tool. It involves a lot of talking to people and figuring out what would be the best for them and how to implement the product in the best possible way. So I had, I had these interactions with customers in the past they would, where they would say things like, oh, make the UX of this button better, which is <laughs> probably a lot of people in the field get this. And I've also tried to explain to them that it's not how things work. UX is the total sum of everything, not this one element of this element. It's how everything works together. That's a good answer. And I'm curious if the feedback is make the UX of this button better, is the subtext there that they want more people to click on the button? Is that actually what they're asking? I think, yes, you are onto it. When customers and people who are not necessarily as familiar with what UX is ask those kind of questions, they obviously probably mean some sort of KPI which they want to achieve. So yes, I want this CTA to be used more, I want this button to be used more, to be clicked more. But yes, I think this is our job as a designer to not make fun of those people, as I just did. But yes, actually try to figure out what lies behind this statement and this question. Not to dive too deep into the what is UX design question, but What's your process look like or what's a, a normal work day look like for you? Maybe that can help paint the picture for, for myself and maybe some of the listeners. To be fair, there's no set process and I just I just do what needs to be done. So my job description is more product designer, right? So I find that my role overlaps a lot with what the product owner does. Sometimes it's hard to define where product design ends and the product owner starts. This is like very closely related roles. And so daily, I just work very closely with the product owner and the engineer. So I will participate in all the sprint reviews, retrospectives, sprint plannings, and I will help prepare stories for sprints. So I will participate in the agile and scrum process and also with planning the roadmap and executing the roadmap, so things like that. And 
also a lot of UX research. So I have this UX research partner. So I'm not a UX researcher myself, but together we plan what projects we want. We all, uh, both of us, we do interviews. So when we have an interview, she usually leads it as a researcher. And I will ask more product related questions when I, like, I see a good opportunity to ask them. And then we synthesize results together and see how we can apply them to a product. So that would be like the general gist of it. That's super helpful. So you mentioned a product owner and a UX researcher. What does your team look like? How many people are they all in the same office as you? I imagine before coronavirus, did you work in an office? And are all those people located in the same place or, or is your team more distributed too? Yeah, we used to have an office, but no longer, uh, as I imagine many others in the world right now. Our team is pretty dist distributed globally. So I have a team of engineers who are here in Budapest and they work on a specific product I work on. But the product part of our team and the design part of our team, they're all over the place. The way our org is distributed, we have this very strong triangle of product, design and engineering. And whichever product, whichever project there is, there's always going to be someone from each of the sides of the triangle. And it's pretty well balanced and this system works quite well. So there's always uh, for whichever project I'm working on or product, there's always uh, like the product owner support and engineering support for it. So those two roles I work with the closest. And the UX researcher would be a part of the design part of the triangle. And how many people work at LogMe in total? <sighs> Estimate. <laughs> Estimate. I'm going to say 5,000 globally, 5,000-ish, as far as I know. And our offices are mostly concentrated in the US, Canada, uh, Germany, here Hungary, and in India. So those are like the key locations. That's a lot of people. <laughs> A lot of people and a lot of time zones, so that's fun. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the things that I experience the, the most is, is most of my clients might be in the U.S. and then I'm in Europe, and I, I can't imagine what it's like if you add more time zones than that. I, I already have a hard enough time with it. Yes, yeah, I sometimes have meetings from 9 a.m. till 8 p.m., so yes, things are fun. <laughs> what advice would you have for somebody that was interested in getting into UX design? One thing I want to say, since I tried to grasp it in the previous what is UX design question, is don't concentrate on only learning about design. UX design is this field where just caring about design tools, design practices, or like the very new hot trend is not enough. And you, the product work does not exist in a vacuum. It will exist in the world, in the society, and there are so many things influencing your product and so many things your product will influence that you need to care about more issues than just which design tool should I use or what color should the buttons in my design system be. Yeah, the advice from me to everyone who's just starting out would be expand your knowledge, expand your interests and try to learn more than just design and it will all come in handy. That's really good advice, especially because I think that so many job titles today are like UX slash UI designer. And I think that you outlined really well that those are very different roles. <laughs> yep. Yep. What about someone that's a more senior UX designer? What advice do you want to give them? I would like to stress that as senior designers and just in general people in more senior roles have more power 
and more saying things, it's important to practice saying no to building things because there's a lot of talk right now about harmful tech and how this or that product has this unintentional, very bad consequences or even intended consequences that are very negative. And I think as seniors, we can say no to building things like that. And we can refuse on work to work on projects which do not align with our values or with the our worldview. And then maybe it's naive, but I believe that if enough good designers and good product owners and good engineers say no to building those harmful things, eventually companies will run out of people to build those things for them. And because our capitalist overlords, they do need humans, they do need us to make those products. And if we keep saying no, especially seniors, because seniors have more leeway, more power, I think change can be made. I love where you went with that question because it like leads right into what I want to ask you of we work under the capitalistic overlords, as you said, the harmful products. There's so much bigotry in our industry as well. There's sexism and racism and homophobia and ableism and all the isms. How do we, other, I, I love your advice about being senior and being the place that says no, but what other advice do you have? Like how can we as, a, as an industry continue to fight all those things? That is a very good question, which I ask myself a lot. Yeah, so we have to get political and we have to push our orgs to be political as well, because in the wake of all the protests and George Floyd's and others' murders, you've seen that a lot of companies pushed back, like Starbucks banned masks, which said Black Lives Matter for their employees. Facebook banned their employees from showing support for Black Lives Matter in the internal platform that they use for employees internally. The worst example of this as of late is obviously Coinbase, where the CEO came out with a statement that from now on will they will be banning all political discussion in their workplace. And it's a very vague thing. You can categorize a lot of things under political discussion. Like Black Lives Matter, is it political? Is it political to say that people shouldn't be killed because of their race? And as far as I know, 60 employees walked out after this announcement. And I, th I think it's very admirable and it definitely takes guts to leave a company during a global pandemic because of your personal values and the company policy not aligning with those. And I also understand people who couldn't leave, who also maybe disagree with this policy. But yeah, obviously you need to have resources to be able to leave uh, your job during a pandemic. So yes, I think Coinbase put everyone in a terrible situation and it sounds like this corporate surveillance pretty much because how will they enforce this ban? Will they um, browse personal conversations, private channels? I don't know, it sounds terrible. And this is the very opposite of what we as an industry need to do. We need to get political because I think we cannot be truly user-centered or human-centered if we only care about people while they're using the product. Because when they walk away and they have their life and they have the difficulties they encounter in their lives, we should also care about them in those moments because otherwise we're not really human-centered or user-centered. We're just, we care about our business goals and that's it. And there's this common phrase in Silicon Valley of bring your whole self to work. And 
now it's don't. And it's not don't bring your full self to work. It's don't bring the ideas that the CEO doesn't agree with. That's a point that you got to of like, how are they policing this internally? It's also like, how are they deciding what is and isn't political? The office, it it seems very subjective to the CEO. And to this point, Coinbase is crypto, it's cryptocurrencies. So the whole point of the product is to solve the like issues of the financial system that is built in the world. So it is political by default. You cannot be uh, like apolitical and try to overthrow global financial structures. So this is a bit of a, it's very hypocritical of them to say they want to be apolitical or in reality just ban certain opinions while they're building such a product. I'm glad you said that because it does come back to the question I have around fighting those same things in our industry. The idea of crypto was the system is broken, it's weighted toward rich white men, rich straight white men, it's toxic, there's all these downsides to it, let's start over, create something new. And it very quickly became this focus of a pretty toxic environment that is very male and white and straight anyway. And I feel like it's a parallel to the design industry is it's all, like you said, about empathy and understanding people and and being political and being ourselves. But it also is very weighted like white male straight and very gatekeeping. How do you, yeah, I don't even know where to go with that question. It's like, how do we as a collective push back against it and stick to our own beliefs of making it more empathetic and accepting and human. No, this is a very good direction to take it to because um, on one hand, already existing designers, people who are already in the room need to get political and they need to care about those issues. But on the other hand, we need to bring underrepresented folks in the room. We shouldn't just all interview some people with disabilities or some people of color and call it a day and say that we solved all our ethical issues. It needs to be radical inclusion. So people should be in the room making the decisions for themselves. And yeah, I think this is a solution. It's not something practical, which all of us can go out and do tomorrow. And it's not necessarily even concerned with design. It's more like also an HR problem, pipeline problem, quote unquote. But yes, I think radical inclusion is the way to go. And need to be included in conversations and in decision making. Like the term radical inclusion. I don't know that I've heard that before. That is not the term I coined. I'm taking it from my mentor, Kenneth Balls, the author of Future Ethics. I heard him mention it in a couple of his talks and maybe he also took it from someone, but that's where I heard it. And I think this is a very good term and a very important concept, which all the tech should align with, not only design. So. Same goes for engineering, for product. It's true for everyone. Absolutely. And I I think future ethics has been brought up and mentioned and recommended a couple times on this show, but I, I will link it again in the show notes here because I really think it's a critical read for a lot of people in our industry. To- Definitely. Can't recommend it enough. Yes, it's a very important book, especially if you're just starting out with those topics of design ethics, inclusion, and it's a very practical book. So it's not just all... Facebook does this and that badly or some other company, but it also offers actual practical um, tools, instruments, solutions, which we can use in our daily practice. Who is one person that the listener should know about? 
that that is a very difficult question and i'm gonna go with more of a celebrity person i'm gonna say no name the rapper i love her and i think everyone should follow her regardless of your like musical preferences because she is a very good example of practicing what you preach so it's one thing to write this like political lyrics and have this political persona in your creative career but she actually does activism and organizing and education and she talks openly about important things and she will talk about things like communism or socialism which i imagine not a lot of celebrities go for it's like very important topics and she will talk about police abolition and prison abolition so i definitely recommend everyone to give her a follow on twitter and another important initiative she leads is a no-name book club where I read books by authors of color and discuss them. And for all of my fellow white designers, there are opportunities on their Twitter page frequently to sponsor books for people of color and underrepresented folks who might have difficulties buying books for themselves. So you can support this nice initiative. And I think it's a very great idea with the book club. It's really interesting. I think a lot of celebrities think that if they get quote unquote political, that they will lose followers. But I think that the point that you're getting to, which I really agree with, is that if artists are political, they get followers, they get fans because people want to hear like a real person, not this like PR polished person that doesn't really talk about any issues. Yes, I'm a fan and everything, music, activism, just her, her whole persona online. Yep, I definitely recommend everyone to follow her. Speaking of book clubs, what books do you recommend? What do you think everyone should read? As I mentioned, I'm a bibliophile, so I would love to go on a little tangent here, if, if you don't mind. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I have opinions with a capital O. Uh, so first of all, uh, you will not catch me recommending design books to designers these days that's i don't think the lack of design knowledge is the biggest problem in this industry and i don't think designers should read more books about design and i'm a big proponent of conscious reading and i would urge everyone who's listening to this podcast to read more books written by people who come from a different background to your own so say i'm a white person so i try to consciously choose and read more books by authors of color, by black people, or for example, if someone is able-bodied or neurotypical, they should strive to read more books by disabled authors or neurodivergent authors. And a lot of people approach eating very carefully and they choose what they eat. And I think the same should definitely be applied to what you read. And the same care should be applied here because opportunities in publishing are still very much not equal. And by reading books by people of different background, you not only learn more about the world from people who have different worldviews, you are also showing with your coin, with your wallet to the publishers that those books are important and people want to read them, want to buy them. So only good sides to this approach. But all of that being said <laughs> about specific books that I would recommend, I think everyone who hasn't yet, because a lot of people probably have, I would recommend to read Audrey Lord. She's amazing. Reading her is just this like divine experience. I don't know. I love 
everything she writes, but especially I like her more of like non-fictional writings, so speeches, essays, poetry, and there are many different collections. In the UK, there's this collection called Your Silence Will Not Protect You. So for our UK and European listeners, I definitely recommend this one. And it has um, all of her best essays and why it's so great, her writing, why is it so great? I think because it's not only educational and you will learn a lot, but it is also, it's very hopeful. So in these times of hopelessness and feeling like, oh no, those systems, they're too big. We can never overthrow them or fight against them. Reading her essays and her works gives me hope that things can be done, that there is a silver lining. So I definitely recommend her. Absolutely. And I, I wouldn't call that a tangent. I, I really appreciate you expanding upon that question quite a bit. And I really appreciate your analogy of the what books you consume is just what food you consume. It's like feeding your brain the way that you feed your body and being selective. I think that's a great visualization for me. So I appreciate that. I think that's really nice. So I believe everyone should get paid for their time. So what we do on the show is we share the profits from our advertisers and any swag purchases with all of our guests of the show. Are there other ways that our listeners could support you? Not really. I don't really have any like projects or channels where you could support me financially. So yeah, I just say, if you want to connect, follow me on Twitter. That's like the number one platform I'm on these days, doom scrolling as one does. <laughs> yeah, and I don't really use any other platforms, to be honest. I was going to recommend your Twitter because that's, I think, how we got connected and I, I enjoy your Twitter feeds. Other than that, are there other ways that you'd like people to, to reach you? It sounds like Twitter. Do you, do you blog at all or, or have a website that you'd like to point people toward? I have this half-abandoned medium, so I, will, I wouldn't say people should reach out to me there. Uh, Twitter is the best, and if I ever write anything or get anything published, it always ends up on Twitter anyway, so it's the best platform. Yeah, yeah, your Twitter account's great, so definitely follow. <laughs> Fantastic, thank you. <laughs> and I really appreciate you being on Bezia. I've had such a good time talking with you. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? As I mentioned many times during this interview, be political and don't try to just care about design or design systems or design tools and think about our users as actual humans who have lives outside of using our products. Those are very important things. Bezier is a design interview podcast amplifying voices in our creative communities that don't already have large platforms and aren't working at big five tech companies. We focus on finding guests from all over the world and representative of as many of us as possible. If you have a great guest idea for Bezier, please email us at inquiry at zoct.studio. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at Z-A-C-H-T dot studio.